When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Stumps. Great to have your company on this Saturday evening. Stumps for one more week. And boys, there are plenty to get through. Tristan Fernanda back in the host chair, filling the void for Darren Park. And Merv's gone AWOL, so we've brought in the big guns to replace him. I'll get to that in the not-too-distant future. We're going to hear from Simon Dool in about 10 minutes' time on the Kiwis' preparation for this one-day series. A fascinating insight from a man by the name of Doug Ackerley. He's written a book called Front Foot. The law that changed cricket surrounding the front foot no ball rule. And he'll uh, join us in about half an hour's time as I welcome the one and only Rodney Malcolm Hogg back to the Stumps studios. Hoggy, good to see you. What a pleasure to see you, Tristan. And I bet you Merv's off fishing. I'll bet you. (laughs) Great to be here, mate. how have you been, Hoggy? Because you're yeah, looking no resplendent. You've had a hit of golf. And I know we've spoken about your golfing battles over the journey. How are you hitting them nowadays? No, no, no good. Uh, the right hand dominates. Um, every time I play a bad shot, I think the right hand's taken over. It's like playing with the demon. Somehow I think you'd be a bad pupil. You've sought uh, some teaching and things like that. But <laughs> I, I just no I think frustration <laughs> to get the better of you as I wind back to the time you got run out and you, you were fed up, the stumps were shattered and... Yeah, Hoggy. Do you have the patience for golf? No, there's no relationship between cricket and golf, except I was a crappy batsman and an average bowler, and I'm a crappy golfer. So that's probably, there is an analogy there. Well, let's get to what you're good at, and that's analysing cricket. Want to hear your take on these comments by Glenn Maxwell regarding Matt Wade? Yeah, that's probably a little bit painful at times. Um, Yeah, I I think probably batting below the wicketkeeper is also a bit painful as well. I think we keep it should be batting at seven, unless uh, you've got you're trying to squeeze an extra bowler into your lineup. But um, I've been just trying to bat wherever I can and, and trying to make as many runs as I can. I, I think I got a hundred from number number eight for Victoria. That was Glenn Maxwell at a press conference in Sydney yesterday. It didn't please the Aussie hierarchy. He's since been fined by the leadership group. You've done a bit of research on some of those pertinent stats. Well, I've done a bit of research. He's having, I, I didn't know, but you can't always tell now with so many forms of the game, backwards and forwards, Tristan, I was just starting to get into the test uh, cricket, which was beautiful. Now we're going into some one days and then we'll come into the big bash and, and we're in the Matador Cup. So I can't get a, a gist on who's really playing well and who's not. I know Cameron White's playing beautifully, but Maxwell's doing quite well. But you would have thought at the same time, I'm not too, are they playing on the same team uh, on Sunday up in Sydney or are they in, is Maxwell playing for New Zealand and and um, Australia and Wadey's playing for Australia. I'm not sure because just it sounded like an opposition. Uh, <laughs> it didn't sound like teammates, did it? They didn't sound oh, like far team from buddies. It. There's no love lost there. And I can't remember. I reckon Gilchrist opened the batting for Australia in in one day games, and I think he was a keeper. So I'd, I've never read anywhere where the keeper's got a bat at seven. So um, he had to be fined. And um, I would have thought, um, you know, the Vicks have pulled him across the line a little bit this year. Had a little bit of a chat to him about just um, well, he missed so- out, of course, in the first shield. Game. Here's what Darren Lehman, interestingly, had to say as he was seething post that Maxwell press conference. No, yes, mate. Because he didn't make 100 for the last sort of two years, I would think. You, you need to make 100. It was a fair clip when asked uh, whether he was in the selection mix for any test matches this summer. Um, well, I, I didn't quite... It was that tongue-in-cheek from Darren. I didn't understand what he was saying there. I was oh, just saying he hadn't scored a century in two years, so he certainly didn't warrant selection, despite uh, Maxwell himself putting his best foot forward, suggesting that he's the man and belongs in the side. Well, Maxwell's a sort of like... He's in the 
top five or six with the most talent in Australian cricket. Let's face facts. He's got so much talent to burn. Um, he bats in all different spots. We saw him get that when he got a test match um, uh, and Clark made him bat at three uh, over in the UAE. So that was crazy stuff. Um, he bats all over the place. So in... in in fairness to him, I would say, if I was Maxwell, I'd say, well, what about giving me a go? But I'm not going to say that to the captain in a press conference. I'm going to just be saying to the Victorian selectors, what about letting me play in a spot um, and give me a bit of a chance to play for Australia? Because he is a talent. And, and really, when you look at the depth of our spinners, we need him in the subcontinent, whether he's the, you know, the third spinner. We're not going to go any good against India. Uh, but certainly, he, he batting at six and being, say, our third spinner gives us some sort of a chance. But he's certainly the most talented. And we're watching time go by sometimes. And, you, you know, time goes by pretty smartly. And uh, Maxwell's been around for a while now. Um, but we know, but we keep saying he's a superstar. We keep saying he's a Test cricketer. But because he's played the the T Twenty form of the game, he's a confused batsman. We don't want to see reverse sweeps in Test matches, please. But that's just how he that's how he operates. I want to go back to your earlier point about the timing of this one day series. And in in this show, when we've done it together, we've always paid great respect to international series. But uh, given the the fortunes of Australia in the Test arena recently. It's hard to get excited about a one-day series that sits between two test series, Hoggy. Well, we saw how poorly we've done um, in the last 10 months of cricket and we saw how poorly we did against South Africa. So I would have thought we'd like to see our batsmen just being able to improve their own abilities, you know, being able to play against the swinging ball. This little series is one they've said, we're doing this every year. We're going to just chuck it in no matter what. And I would have loved to see us play another Shield game on top of the, uh, we've just made a lot of changes in the test arena. We made five changes in the, into the third test match. So there's um, there's 17 blokes at least who have played for Australia in three test matches this year. We're going to see later, uh, early next year, when the T20 and where some guys go to India. Now, the 15-man squad goes to India. So there's 15 Australian cricketers go to India. Then you'll have a squad of 15. So there'll be 30 blokes. Are they, is there 30 good enough players in Australia to justify selection of the, of the Australian cap? I don't think so. And if I'll ask you a question, who would you select um, if you had to get someone out for your life? Let's say um, not a not a front line batsman. Let's say a guy like Peter Siddle. Peter Siddle, you've got, and I say to you, for your life, I want you to nominate a bowler to get Peter Siddle out, a spinner. And I'll throw, you've got to nominate a spinner. I know this is a question without giving you much, mm-hmm. of, but there's not many around. <laughs> um, you've got to get Peter Siddle out. Uh, here's the ball. You've got to pick a spinner in Australia. Are we thinking and, anything about selection of the Indian squad? Because I'm a massive rap for Adam Zampa. I think he would actually trouble Siddle because he actually bowls a flat trajectory delivery, one that skids on. In fact, I'd like to see him probably flight it and uh, provide a little bit more drift and variation with the way he goes about things. But I do think he's got enormous upside because he's bowling the leggies. Well, we just... All right, you've picked Zampa, have you? Well, we just saw the Shield game against uh, South Australia and Victoria and Zampa, who was the spinner in the South Australian side. You come to the last day of a Shield game and, uh, all right, they only got a lead. They batted badly in their second in South Australia. So they only had 220 on the board. You would think Zampa, who's picked as a spinner... You would think last day of a Shield game, Zampa's going to turn out at least 20 overs. And that's going to be good for him. It's going to be good for Australian cricket. And it's going to, it should be good for South Australia. He bowled 10 overs, none mm-hmm. for 37. Waste of time. What's he doing there? So that's the attitude that we've got. And I'm asking you, you've, the best you've come up with Zampa, well, he's not doing much in Shield. He's a pretty good uh, T20 one-day bowl. Oh, I don't know if he's that good in the uh, one day. In days, terms but... of people knocking on the door, you'd have to say Stephen O'Keefe. Stephen O'Keefe knocking on the door. Pretty, yeah, he's all right. O'Keefe, he's injured at the moment. He's all right. He's not going to get Siddle out. Um, Johnny <laughs> Holland's bowling beautifully at the moment. He Might is. get him out. We haven't, the depth, it's it's ridiculous. The depth is absolutely hopeless. And when I said about the 30 blokes um, at the same time playing for Australia, I'm trying to get uh, a couple of spinners. Lyon, um, Holland, O'Keefe. Yeah. You keep breaking your brain, Hoggy. We'll go off to a break. If you'd like to get involved on the Kookaburra Cricket Open Line, if it ain't a cooker, it ain't cricket. Hashtag Team Kookaburra to get involved on social media. one three hundred twenty three fifty five forty eight. Rodney Hogg here with Tristan Fernanda on Stumps today. After this, we hear from Simon Dook. Listening to Stumps. 
And it's great to have you with us on this Saturday edition of Stumps. Rodney Hogg with Tristan Fernanda here filling the void for Darren Park and, and Merv Hughes. Hoggy, we speak about Australia having a one-day series in between two test series. Uh, New Zealand's also had this one-day series thrust upon it after a test series victory over Pakistan. One of their respected commentators and former fearsome men in the cricketing arena is Simon Dool. He's always generous with his time. He had the opportunity of catching up with Tony Leonard and Adam Cooney on Sports Day around Australia. They started by asking him that sensational test win recently over Pakistan. Was it simply New Zealand's brilliance or was it Pakistan's uh, batting that was indeed woeful? Yeah, it was It was a little bit of both. I've got to say they were um, indifferent throughout the morning, I thought, Pakistan. If they were heading any chance of chasing that total down. They needed to be a little more aggressive through that morning uh, session and, mm. and the lunch the lunch session as well. And they just left themselves too much work to do, I thought. Um, you know, we, we saw Azhar Ali dig himself into a hole in, in Christchurch as well in the first Test match and probably got his team into a bit of a hole. So um, I, I think New Zealand were very good after tea. I think they bowled, um, you know, they bowled with some real purpose, particularly uh, Neil Wagner when he, when he got his opportunities towards the end. But um, Pakistan, to me, were certainly pretty soft at, at, at times with some of the dismissals. They were, um, you know, got likes of Yunus Khan and guys like that. I mean, Ms. Barr in the first test was, was poor. Yunus was poor throughout the two tests. Um, and those are the guys you need to stand up in situations like that, whether you're trying to win a test or whether you're trying to save it. So... 50-50 on the, on the New Zealand good and Pakistan poor side, I think. Before we start, Adam will specifically ask you questions about, obviously, the one-day squad that's coming out here. And we know they're going to be belters of one-dayers. Just um, what is life like for New Zealand cricket after Brendan has uh, left the building? It's calmed down. Um, yeah. It's a bit quieter. <laughs> I think that's, that's safe to say. Um, look, he left, a, he left a mark on this team, I think, and he left a a style of cricket that probably New Zealand want to try and play. It's not always going to work, I don't think. But, um, you know, we we probably lost our way in, in world cricket. We lost our identity. We, we tried to follow um, Australia, I think, in some ways. Uh, back in maybe the, the 2000s, uh, we tried to follow England. We, we tried to do things that other teams were doing instead of having our own identity. And I think Brendan gave New Zealand that identity. didn't always work, and he, he'd be the first to admit that it wasn't always you know, um, spot on, but I think it, it just gave New Zealand a style of cricket to try and play. It was it was pretty aggressive, but um, but also, you know, it was it was nice. I think it was probably you know some people called us the nice guys of world cricket. I don't think we're entirely that. I think we've got some mongrel in us, in us here and there, but um, mm. you know, he left us with a style of cricket that we we now quite enjoy watching and enjoy trying to play. Let's get stuck into uh, some talk about this series. Uh, obviously, the fourteen man squad just been announced. Some injury concerns for Trent Bolton, Martin Guptill being past fit to play. Just give us a little insight on the on the squad. Yeah, it's a it's a squad without um, you know without Ross Taylor. It, there's not a lot of experience through that middle order. I think that will be the, the big key. If if Martin Guptill and Kane Williamson and Tom Latham aren't doing a bulk of the run scoring, uh, I'm not sure where the runs are going to come from through that middle order. But what I'd like to see us do is is probably play uh, Colin Munro at four. Uh, De Grandholm maybe at five or six uh, around you know, Nichols maybe and then and then so play a bunch of those all rounders in that middle. I mean, for those of you who haven't seen enough of, of Colin Munro, he's a very powerful striker. Um, De Grandholm very much the same in the same mould. So I'd like to see New Zealand maybe take some risks and play those guys in that four, five, six role and Mitchell Santner at seven, uh, and then and then get the seamers in after that. So. Um, that would be how I'd like to see it happen, and I'd like to see us be quite aggressive. Um, whether that will be the case, I'm not not sure, but uh, that's exactly how I think they should be playing. Um, with Bolt back, um, you know, after the knee, knee injury, he missed the last Test match. That's always mm-hmm. a bonus. Him and Sal there have been very good for us, um, you know, in the last couple of years. So that's decent. We're, we're un- unleashing Lockie Ferguson. Boys, keep an eye out for uh, for the big fella from Auckland. He's um, He's capable of bowling at 150. I wouldn't say he's a he's a genuine 150 clicks all the time, but he's certainly capable, and um, he's been known to hurry a number of batsmen around the New Zealand first-class scene up um, quite a lot this year. So he's coming over with some form and with some pace and some games behind him, which is good. Can you see him in the starting lineup? I can see him playing one of the three, definitely, possibly two. Um, it just depends a little bit on what they try and do with Todd Astle. I, I think it's um, pretty harsh on... 
on each side. He, he missed out on this uh, side, and he was one of the players of the of the T20 World Cup for us in India. So that was tough. And last time Australia played New Zealand, I think at Hamilton, um, each side he was man of the match. So pretty harsh on him being left out. It just depends on what they want to do with um, with Todd Astle. Uh, I, I, Sydney doesn't turn anywhere near as much as it used to. So. I wonder whether they'll play him in Canberra. I don't think so. Melbourne might be the one place to play the league spinner with the bigger boundaries and a little more, um, you know, just a little more room for him to, to work his way in. So I, I see Lockie getting one, possibly two of the games. Um, and, and, you know, just in and around Trent Bolt and Tim Southey, they'll mix and match a little bit there. How's his control when he bowls Lockie? Because Sean Tate used to bowl some rockets as well, but sometimes <laughs> could be a little bit wayward. Is he, uh, is he hitting the pitch regularly? Oh, four out of six. It's not bad, is it? <laughs> Look <laughs> out for the, the other two. The thing about it is, that when you're a batsman facing those sorts of guys, and we had a guy called Heath Davis back in the 90s, and yeah. you know, there's been a few around. I know Shane uh, Wild Thing, Wild Thing, Tatey was 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 a bit like that. You just, it's actually worse to face a guy like that than it is a Brett Lee or an Alan Donald, because at least with those guys, you kind of you knew that they knew what they were doing. <laughs> Whereas with with Sean Tate and with Lockie Ferguson and, and some of those other guys, well, you just you got no idea. They've got no idea, and, and you've got no idea. So it's even worse. It's it's must be a brilliant feeling for the crowd to seeing someone bowling the hundred and fifty k rockets, but deflating for the bowlers when they get a snick and it goes for six over first slip, <laughs> just, just just trying to get that there. I, I for just take you back to the World Cup, and you can reflect on it now. Uh, they were really crazy days. Is that is that a, sort of the lightning rod moment that New Zealand cricketers crave to say, we deserve as a nation to be in the converse, in the same conversation, but obviously not as august as say the All Blacks or or the Silver Ferns? Um, I think what it did for the country was outstanding, and and you know the the take up of um, of junior cricket last summer in particular after that World Cup was phenomenal. Um, you know numbers were increased. I, I, they were talking. I think New Zealand cricket were talking almost into the 10,000 um, new sign-ups for, for junior cricket, which is just great around the country. Um, you know, everybody sort of uh, just rode the bus, didn't they, for, for about yeah. three and a half, four weeks. It was, it was magnificent. And I think, you know, both countries deserve uh, credit for how they, how they hosted it as well. I think that, um, you know, they took the games to the right areas and, and the crowds were really good. They got into it. It was just a shame we didn't quite turn up. It was, you know, I think, you know, when I walked out to the middle with the two skippers at the G last year, and for that, for the toss, it was sort of it had that air about it. If Brendan McCullum, you know, if he could take maybe throw the first punch against Mitchell Stark, then then it was going to be all right. But unfortunately, Stark was was on the top of his game that yeah. day, and it kind of deflated a nation almost when Brendan's poles went everywhere about what third or fourth ball, whatever it was. It so, didn't last long. Um, you know, look, it was a great ride, but um, uh, you know, and, and and a fitting. I think Aussie just certainly deserved to win it, but New Zealand were. Were um, you know were right up there, and everybody was was riding behind this you know this side like they were the All Blacks, or generally are the All Blacks every weekend except for uh, that Chicago game. Simon, if I could just get thirty <laughs> seconds, in what form is Pakistan going to lob in Australia for the Test series? Do you think? I hope they're better for the run. I hope you know, like a good horse, I hope they're better for the outing in New Zealand, and and they perform a lot better because they were they were below par in New Zealand, and I'd like to see. I'd like to think they'll be better for the uh, for the outings in New Zealand against Australia. Good to hear from Simon Dool. We're very much looking forward to this Chapel Hadley series between Australia and New Zealand. Stick with us here on Stumps. Rodney Hogg with Tristan Fernanda. A great insight into the front foot no ball rule change. Doug Ackley on a book he's written. We'll hear from the skippers and a whole lot more right here on Stumps. Stumps. Yes, a big warm welcome to Stumps on this Saturday evening. Hello to those of you joining us for the first time. Tristan Fernanda joining you and filling the void left by Darren Park. And there's no Merv Hughes, so I've got a very special co-host and we're going to introduce a guest in the not-too-distant future. But we have a heap to get through on the eve of the Chapel Hadley series. If you'd like to get involved, do so. The Kookaburra Cricket open line is open for business. If it ain't a cooker, it ain't cricket. Hashtag Team Kookaburra and that all-important number, 1300 And as I say, welcome to my old partner in crime, a reunion of sorts. He doesn't like being called a star, but I'm going to call him one regardless. Rodney Malcolm-Hogg, good afternoon to you. 
Hello, Tristan. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the next uh, 20 minutes or half an hour. It depends how it goes, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Fancy speaking to a wicketkeeper about the front foot rule. He's 45 yards away. He wouldn't have a clue what's going on with the fast bowlers, especially fast bowlers. And he's written a book on it. I can't understand that. Well, just to give people an insight into what you're talking about, Hoggy, (laughs) there's a book called Front Foot, The Law That Changed Cricket. And... I reckon uh, the history of cricket is quite fascinating. So for the history buffs out there and for those who want to learn a little bit about the evolution of the game, we've got a very special guest joining us because Doug Ackerley, the man who has written the book, has been good enough to join us in studio. And uh, we say a warm welcome to you now, Doug. Good afternoon to you. And good afternoon to you too, Tristan and Roddy. How are you? Very well. Uh, There's a little quote in here. I reckon I I would have thought it had come from Richie, but now it says, I only ever thought there was a column in the subject... Never a book, but I reasoned without Doug Ackley. The front foot law is seriously flawed. I hope that many cricket officials buy Doug's book. And I would have thought Richie Benet, because we've always heard Richie Benet go on about the front foot rule. Uh, But no, obviously it was, well, not obviously, but it was the great Ian Chappell. So very interesting. I know Ian's a, a mate of Doug's, but uh, they're beautiful words from Doug. He's from, written, um, Ian, aren't they? He has written the foreword. Doug, tell us, where did the idea come about and what were you seeking to achieve from this research? Uh, the idea, uh, and we're talking now how actions have changed and injuries have resulted, not so much the ridiculous nature of the decision-making uh, side of the law, which gets uh, Chapelli's uh, goat and, uh, <laughs> and Richie before him and Sir Donald. No, it, it was all to do with the changed actions. And I was talking to uh, a former Australian and Queensland swing bowler, Ross Duncan, at a coaching camp. And uh, he said, apropos, over a beer, he said, Doug, do you realise that the front foot law introduced the jump into the gather? And that's the sort of the big Dennis Lilly leap, the Rodney Hogg mm-hmm. leap, for example. Brett Lee, uh, because under the backfoot law, actions were side on aligned, hips and, and shoulders aligned, and bowlers tended to skate on their back toe. So that dragging motion yeah. that we've seen from historical footage. Indeed, Tristan, and horizontal forces more than the the modern day vertical forces, which have, have come about through the, the change in actions and five to eight times the body weight of a bowler on average goes through that front foot, through the spine, and if it's malaligned as it so often is, uh, that's where you get your stress fractures, and of course in the front foot by definition if you're coming down. There was one bowler measured at the AIS 13 times his body Ooh. weight through the, uh, the force plates that Mark Portis has up there at the AIS. This didn't happen in the old days. We didn't have force plates, but biomechanists have said to me, look, yes, you're, you're quite right. Under the back foot law with the, the skating on the back toe, it's more horizontal forces, much more benign on the body. And, of course, you didn't have mixed actions because up until 1989, all coaching manuals that recently said, got to look over the front shoulder. So you've got Dennis. You look at the statue of Dennis Lilly. He's looking over his front shoulder, but the bottom half of his body, searching for that front line over which you now cannot go, is fairly open. Certainly in the gather, if you look at the, uh, at the statue, and this is what we mean by counter-rotation, where the hips and the shoulders get out of sync. They're not aligned side onto the target. It was beautiful to, uh, and I've got the book in front of me, so a lot of people listening won't, but just to give you an imagination, Lindwell. Now, no one's bowled like Lindwell since the front foot rule. Lindwell, uh, so side on and on the very back toes, gliding along on his back toes. Then that was the end of, then the front foot, then Dennis, obviously Dennis jumping. And then I think, Doug, the, um, there was always this talk about, oh, blokes breaking down injuries, so let's get people more front on. And I think of Andy Bickle. Andy Bickle changed himself from a side onto a front on bowler. So that, that, it's just been a, um, a changing as we've gone along. I don't know what Spoffitz was like years ago, but as you say, the front foot rule has made um, change the evolution of fast bowlers. Yes, Rod. Actually, we, we do not know what they were like in those old days. There's a great book by Beldham and Fry. Beldham, the photographer, C.B. Fry, the great athlete, great cricketer, uh, who did the words to the book. And you see a fellow called Schofield Haig in there in 1906 with a side on and a drag. Uh, and those photos are actually in the book as well. But you're so right. It, it's the modern action. There was this tendency, because there was now a line over which you couldn't go, the, the popping crease, uh, that the, 
the delivery stride shortened and the jump came in more often than not uh, with this mental periphery. You're thinking of the front line and this is what happened and with bowlers searching for it, slamming that front foot down more uh, rather than skating on the back foot and it just glides gently to the turf. Mm. This is where your problems are because bowlers, particularly you look at Peter Siddle now, who's broken down twice in this calendar year at the age of 32, well past skeletal hardening and all the other things they talk about. He's broken down because he charges in and he just hasn't got time to get in a, a properly aligned position, even though he does look to the right-hand side of his front arm. That is the voice of Doug Ackley, who has written the book, Front Foot, The Law That Changed Cricket, on the front foot no ball rule. You flick a few pages in, Doug, and we move away from the physical demands uh, that this rule brought about. I find it quite staggering in a day and age we talk so much about overrate and efficiency of the game. Up to 1962, with the back foot rule, 535 test matches... And you've actually done some researches on twenty research on twenty plus no ball matches. There were only fifteen. From nineteen sixty three to present, in sixteen hundred and eighty four test matches, there are sixteen hundred and sixty two twenty plus no ball matches. I find that quite staggering. Actually they're Richie's figures quoted by Ian. And Ian's right onto this because of course they're they're talking about uh, the fact that look, it's holding up play, you know, overs uh, and in fact uh, the West Indies didn't get through their overs uh, and over rates uh, were one of the blights on the game but I must point out that now that you have uh, a front line and of course side on cameras as well you're going to pick up a lot more no balls not that they're looking for it now the third umpire may be but perhaps uh, not the umpires out there but if you strictly interpreted the back foot law in fact they, that changed in 1947 no longer did your back foot uh, land behind the stumps, the bowling crease, and you were home free, strictly speaking, it actually still had to be behind the bowling crease at release of ball. Of course, the umpires uh, woke up immediately. You can't watch the hand and the back foot at the same time. Some idiots changed the law in 47. So, in fact, had they called uh, no balls correctly in those days, blokes wouldn't have even got through and over. Uh, (laughs) Doug, I know uh, you very well, and I know you're a thorough person, and and you wrote a brilliant book on uh, the late, uh, great John Coleman, um, which was a brilliant book. Uh, any sponsorship or any help with this one? No, look, uh, Rod, I don't want to cry poor, but uh, you don't write it for the money. You don't make money out of books and uh, even publishers. I, I, I'm damned if they make any money out of bush, books, perhaps, uh, uh, you know, novels and stuff like that. You do it because you get onto something that someone else hasn't written and you think, oh, this is important enough, uh, you should do this. And, yeah, you do it for the satisfaction, which if you're a, a sad old bachelor like me and you live simply, you can probably afford to. <laughs> Well, Dougie, uh, I don't need to know what the cost of the book is, um, but I'd like to know your your actual hard-earned, uh, well, hard-spent expenses, like you've travelled all around Australia. Did you leave these shores of Australia to interview anyone? Yes, I went to uh, England and went through the uh, library at the MCC at Lords and went right through their archives. Their cooperation was just absolutely superb, and they've provided a number of the photos for the book too. They're just sensational, as was the MCG library here. Um, and uh, yes, I interviewed um, uh, Richard Hutton, for example, who was editor of Cricketer magazine in the early 90s, a former uh, England test uh, pace bowler, and he was one of the early blokes in the early 90s to look at, uh, in the wake of Alec Bedser, the first man to actually make a statement, hey, listen, this law has changed actions and each of them also referred to injury. So I wanted to talk to him and I spoke, of course, England have been more successful in mitigating the problems of these injuries and I've got a, a couple of theories on that. So I spoke to their um, uh, fellow at Cardiff University, who uh, the biomechanist who uh, who uh, works on, on their players and they seem to pick up the hot spots a lot earlier and uh, thus their players are not out of the game quite as long. Uh, I think more benign footholds too. I think it's a softer, soft, landing, softer yeah. landing. And also, Rod, would you say that in Australia and New Zealand, where you've had the problems, there's a more imperative for pace, whereas in England 
seaman swing is, is, is what they, they're looking for more so. Oh, well, as Lehman said, he wants people bowling at over 140 in Australia. And um, I think it shows that people bowling about 85 miles an hour in England, um, they're the ones that get people out, not the faster type bowler. So are we talking, um, Dougie, are we talking 25, 35 grand that you've spent just doing your research and all, getting around the planet? Because I didn't know you'd been to England and you've been... New Zealand? Did you go over there? Yeah, I, I, I interviewed Shane Bond over there, a terrific bloke, yeah, smart man, bloke. good bloke. Yep. Uh, and uh, oh yeah, can I, we get a price? Give us a little cost. We'll move away from that. Hobby, no, 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 I want, no. I want to know how much he spent. It's not. A, <laughs> it's I, I not think a, it's Doug's not reluctant a, to tell us. Oh no, no, not not, not at all, Tristan. Um, no. <laughs> uh, remember, I've I've self-published too, as I did with uh, Coleman, because uh, a publisher won't buy the images that you need. I've spent more than $3,000 on, on images over and above the ones I took myself. There are 65 photos uh, in the book there. I've uh, paid, well, 12 or 13 grand for printing. Uh, you have design. I've, I've still yet to pay my designer because he hasn't finished the e-book. Though he's a wonderful <laughs> fellow. But that'll cost more than two grand. And, uh, I mean, yeah, that'll be 20 grand plus, of course. You're laughing. It, you're smiling. It's, it's, well, uh, it's starting to add up. It, it certainly is, Rod. But, but honestly, um, if this gets a discussion going, a conversation going that draws attention to the law. And I gave a copy to Sean Pollock in Adelaide, who he and his father, Peter, are both very much backfoot men. They, they want the backfoot law to come back in. And he's on a committee at the MCC who advised ah. the, uh, the ICC. So, you know, if you wear away at it a bit, and uh, with Ciappelli's help, who's, who's more so, so on the law as a decision-making thing. This may end up the Doug Ackley back foot rule at the end of the day. We might get it changed around. Your your book's uh, um, an inter- entertaining book, but it's, it's very much a reference book because of the research you've done. Now, if they, these administrators, and I don't know what Ian calls them these days, but I know Richie was never a great administrating man, didn't like them too much. If it gets changed, it'll be the Doug Ackley back foot rule. And Doug Ackley joins us, uh, author of Front Foot, The Law That Changed Cricket, as we discuss the evolution of the law itself and uh, the toll it's taken as far as injuries go. Doug, flicking through the book, I haven't uh, managed to get to the the later chapters as yet, but there's a chapter called Back to the Future, and you mentioned Mm -hmm. Shane Bond, and I suppose for the sake of balancing this discussion, he was a little sceptical on the injury correlation with the, the front foot law. He said, how did you, or he asked the question, how do you know that there wasn't this same prevalence uh, with the back foot no ball, a no ball rule? Tristan, a good question too from a man who had surgery too, like Bruce Reed and, and uh, people who had surgery. I mean, that is seriously bad. I don't think anyone's had surgery in the world since Matt Henry, who's come back now uh, okay for uh, New Zealand. I, I don't think they'll go down that path. But no, Shane was a very much a devil's advocate and it was good because he, he, he took an interest. And I said, look, I don't know, Shane, but generally in cricket, because it's fabled for its literature, you would you would read about it. You'd know about someone who had a bad back. So I went into it as best I could, talking to Ian Meckiff, Colin Guest, John Drennan, um, um, uh, Gordon Rourke and Frank Misson and all the fast bowlers from that era who still survive. None of them had a back injury. Des Hoare did, but he had an unusual placement of his back foot. But none of them also, Graham McKenzie as well, could remember any of their contemporaries having a a back injury. So then I've gone into uh, research to try to find out things and you find out that Jack Bannister, who uh, ended uh, uh, life as a BBC commentator, but he was a a very fine uh, pace bowler for Warwickshire, Jack had one but it was an exacerbation of a congenital complaint. So mm. therefore, again, we can't really put it down to cricket. Uh, Keith Miller, they'll say, what about Keith Miller? He had a lot of back trouble. Yeah, you know why? Because he was mucking around in a, a light plane at the end of the war and had a crash. And he, he fully... Had... <laughs> They're going to blame that on the front foot rule and the back foot rule. <laughs> he, he could have said, oh, look, you know, uh, front foot's going to make no difference. But if you go through, I've done my best to... to uh, and look, I'm open to anyone telling me, look, you've missed this bloke who genuinely had a problem as a back foot bowler, I haven't found one. And I don't think I will, Tristan. And I'm trying to think of uh, greater players than, say, Bruce Reed and, and Shane Bond that were affected by 
by back injuries. Those two are absolute megastars. Their careers, we didn't see the best of those, unfortunately, because of back injuries. Well, um, in the table section at the back, Hoggy, uh, Darren Goff, Jason Gillespie, Andrew Flintoff listed as some who have suffered front uh, foot stress fracturous uh, associated injuries. Well, I know that Flintoff's front foot didn't go in the right direction for a fast ball. I don't know how he bowled fast flint off his front foot, used to point down towards about third slip. So how he did that. So that was what caused him by having a bad knee. But the participation of the greats, you name some names there. Um, and I know Gordon Rourke. Let's just a little bit about Gordon Rourke. For, for the people listening, Keith Stackpole says that Gordon Rourke was the fastest bowler he faced. And he faced Wes Hall and a few others. So, uh, But Gordon Rourke was his fastest. And you interviewed uh, Gordon Rourke. Gordon was at the launch in Sydney too, along with Peter Philpot, who has uh, some very good ideas about you know, agreeing uh, that the, the law change did change actions. Uh, Gordon's photographed in the book, Rod. Um, uh, it's a classic photo on debut in Adelaide, his first test in early 1959, with both feet past the popping crease and the ball still in his hand. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, therefore, I mean, that, that was ridiculous. But you talked about the um, uh, famous players... Wacko Yunus, I'm looking forward to meeting him up in Brisbane when I go up to the Gabba there because, of course, he had stress fractures. And Ian Bishop, a rare example of a West Indian. And Ian didn't look, I emailed to him, but he didn't sort of follow up with it. I have a feeling Ian Bishop may have been coached because the interesting thing that Daryl Foster and Bruce Elliott and the guys at the University of Western Australia noticed, uh, and that's when the, the 1989 book came out where they said, hey, we've discovered how to cure this, semi-open actions, because uh, the West Indies, and I think you remember them, Rod, uh, that battery of four, <laughs> of four fast bowlers, pretty well all of them were semi-open, sort of 45 degrees with their shoulders and hips aligned, like Courtney Walsh, who was just bu- bulletproof and bowled about 5,500 deliveries on average per annum through his career. Today's bowlers, Peter Siddle. 2,400, Mornay Morkel, 2,300. They're not bowling. Their practice workloads are limited, but they're breaking down. A fascinating insight into the front foot no ball rule as Doug Ackley, the journalist and author of the book, Front Foot, The Law That Changed Cricket, joins us live on Stumps. We've got to get to a break. We'll come back and discuss this a little further at Stumps with Rodney Hogg and Tristan Fernando on your Saturday. If you'd like to get involved, get, do so. Kookaburra Cricket Open Line. If it ain't a cooker, it ain't cricket. one three hundred twenty three fifty five forty eight. 2345 You most certainly are Rodney Hogg with Tristan Fernanda today, filling the void left by Darren Parkin and Merv Hughes. We wish them well as they enjoy a well-earned rest. Doug Ackley, author of Front Foot, The Law That Changed Cricket, is in the studio with us. And before we let you go, Doug, I wanted to talk to you about the legal ramifications or potential legalities around this uh, rule and the injury discussion that we've had. Uh, given in football codes, we talk about the link between head injuries and concussions and uh, long-term effect. Do you think this will open the floodgates a little bit? Well, look, um, Nathan Bracken, uh, I think, settled out of court with Cricket Australia, for example. We have a precedent uh, of legal action being taken, but that's more on an individual basis. But you've got to look at things like this, Tristan. Uh, I believe that this law has made the game unsafe. Now, if a lawyer were to read this book and, and take it, I mean, if you were Patrick Cummins's lawyer, if he breaks down again, that'll be five times and he's only 23, he's been very sanguine about the whole thing, but you'd be saying workplace health and safety, wouldn't you? Mm. I mean, for God's sake, this young fellow, um, he's put his uh, life on hold to play cricket for Australia. But do you know what's more important? 99% of the game, of course, is played at grassroots level. And a duty of care surely comes in at grassroots. You're going to have mum and dad saying, uh, little Johnny and little Jill, you're not going to play cricket because it's too dangerous if you're a pace bowler, for example. I think the rest of the game with mandatory helmets, etc., is not. But do you realise that Shane Watson broke down with his first stress fracture in the Queensland under-12s? It's unbelievable. Isn't that unbelievable? Mm. So you're, you're telling me he, he's managed to guts his way through a career where he's been much maligned for various other injuries... But, I mean, how many good, talented young cricketers have we never heard of because they gave the game up 
because it was unsafe. If we revert to the Backfoot Law, John Harmer, pioneering biomechanist, says that actions would revert to the side-on aligned actions that we had in the past. Over time, it might take a decade, as it did uh, to see Dennis's injury manifest in 73 after the Lord changed in his first season of competitive cricket in 1963. So if Shane Watson hadn't have broken down the under-12s, he could have ended up a pretty fair sort of a cricketer, couldn't he? Um, So in summary... What do you want to see? Now, the back foot rule, as we knew it years ago, and for people who don't know much about it, there was a drag where you landed and your back foot, you could just go past the back foot line. Surely the back foot line and nothing goes past it. Yes, and what happened in between 1959 when Gordon Rourke uh, was photographed and 63, the law changed, they used discs. The umpire had a disc, and if your drag was as big as Gordon's, Gordon's was nine feet, three metres. And so Mm -hmm. what would happen is that's between back foot landing and front foot landing. But uh, he would go, and he said, oh, look, they're a bit rough on me. I only went two feet over the popping crease, he said, uh, at the the launch. But, of course, if, if you're going to go over that distance, what happened? The umpire used a disc and mandated that Gordon had to land his back foot two feet behind the, the stumps behind the bowling crease. And that's what I'd, I would suggest that they do now. And what you'd be doing, you'd be giving the umpire out on the ground the privilege of actually taking charge again and not just being there to carry jumpers yeah. and hats. Yeah, yeah. I, I, your book launch was unbelievable, the amount of people that turned up. Was there any un, anybody under the age of 70 at your book launch? How old's Brendan McArdle? Was he there, was he? Of course he was. Oh, Hig- yeah. your 64. Mate, your mate Higgsy was there too. 67? Yeah, six, 66. 66. Yeah. No, there were a couple of young people. Craig Slocum was there. Craig. You remember the bloke who autographed my bag? He was. He played at was he? Dandenong. Yeah, oh, right. lovely bloke. A couple of young people there, but you're quite right. Mostly just fellow travellers of mine. You know? <laughs> and we, we went straight to the London Tavern. As we wrap things up, Doug, tell us or tell everyone out there where they can pick up a copy of this book. Yeah, at, at all good bookstores and, of course, uh, some of the ordinary ones as mm-hmm. well, they're stocking it. But, no, definitely Dimmick's in town, for example. I signed some in Dimmick's in, in Adelaide. Uh, uh, so it's all around the country. And uh, the more uh, publicity airports, I Airports? You got into airports? Oh, that's hard. That's yeah. hard to get into airports. It's hard gig, isn't oh, it? I'd love mm. to get into airports. Were you in airports with no, your I didn't get into joke book? No, it's very, very <laughs> hard. But, uh, no, all good bookstores. And if they haven't got it, they'll get it straight away because we're on uh, um, the uh, information uh, database there at it's stores. It's called Front Foot, the law that changed cricket. A perfect Christmas present as we bid you farewell. And thank you once again, Doug Ackerley, for coming in. Thank you very much, Tristan. Thanks, Roddy. A fascinating insight into the research and to the investment into writing a book about the game we love, Hoggy. Brilliant book. Brilliant brilliant writer. Brilliant man. I know what to buy you for Christmas. I've got one. You haven't? Yes, I have. I've got it sitting right there. (laughs) Oh, you just pinched that one. (laughs) Rodney Hogg up to his old shenanigans. It is stumps all across Australia. To those leaving us, have a great weekend. Stick with us, though. A whole lot more to come as we are joined by our Melbourne listeners in the not-too-distant future. Yes, big warm welcome to Stumps. Good evening to those of you joining us for the very first time. Tristan Fernanda here with you, filling the void left by Darren Parkin. There's no Merv Hughes either, so a familiar voice as co-host today, the one and only Rodney Malcolm Hogg. Good to see you again, Hoggy. Tristan, are you being sincere? I'm always sincere, (laughs) Hoggy. You're looking Good. resplendent. Lovely to see you. I'm, I'm not going to ask you about your golf game because I know it's uh, it's hardly improved in the well, 18 like to, to say, 24 months we've known each other. I'd like to say something nice about your shirt, but I can't. <laughs> oh. Uh, 1-300-2355-48 is the Kookaburra Cricket Open line. If it ain't a cooker, it ain't cricket. Hashtag Team Kookaburra on social media. Got a heap to get through. There's been a controversy that's arisen in the past 24 hours involving Glenn Maxwell. I'm going to get your take on that. Some interesting comments made by Dan Christian in regard to the experimental nature of the Shield uh, cricket at present. And... uh, yeah, we've got a test series on the horizon against Pakistan. But uh, What's experimental would... about the Shield? It's well, just the we'll shield, get to that a little bit later on because hey? we've got a very special guest joining us, Victorian Bushranger. He's been going great guns. He's always generous with his time. His name's Chris Tremaine, and he joins us now. Chris, a warm welcome to you. Yeah, guys, how are you doing? 
Hey, we're extremely well. Tell us what you've made of your season to date because looking on, it's been an absolute pleasure. We know the Vicks are flying and from uh, all reports and having seen snippets of you in action, you must be pretty pleased. Uh, yeah, it, it's been um, it's been longer than uh, than I would have thought um, pre-Christmas sort of season would have been. Um, you know, sort of kicked off with, with some uh, Aussie A stuff in winter and then a um, uh, trip to South Africa with the ODI squad and then yeah, back for the back for the shield and the end of, back end of the Matador Cup. So four shield games down, and we've um, and we've got up in in each one of them. So it's been a it's been a very uh, hectic but very successful start. Chris uh, Rodney Hogg here. I don't mind if you say to me up your jumper, Hoggy, because I know remember you rang me uh, a couple of years ago and I said Chris who. So uh, fantastic on what you've done. Um, your bowling, your move down to Victoria is sensational for you. Is your bowling getting better and better in the last couple of years? Uh, yeah, it, it, it has, but it's it's sort of been, um, I guess, a bit of a catch-22 is that um, when I was in New South Wales, I, I, I wasn't playing very much. Um, and when I played, uh, it was very inconsistent. Um, I didn't have a great deal of confidence in, in, um, in selection. And, and um, you know, it was, it, was sort of, it was sort of very funny. So I had a... I had a uh, when I came down to Victoria, I got a bit more consistency in selection. I was I was playing a little little bit more frequently, and on the back of of playing a little bit more frequently, my body got a bit stronger. Um, I started to learn a few more things, being able to um, you know come back throughout games and throughout um, sort of periods where you're not bowling so well, or you know whether that be an over or a spell or a day or um, or a game. So. Um, being consistently um, playing and, and, and exposed to first-class cricket's probably probably helped my bowling the most out of out of anything. It's amazing what they expect from fast bowlers. You and your mate Scotty Bowling went to Australia for a one-day series. Tell us how flat those wickets. You're on a hiding to nothing, aren't you? You rock up to play for Australia, and there's a wicket that's got nothing in it for you. It's a hard gig, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it was. It was a hard gig, and and when I came back to Australia and, and got asked the got us uh, you know what I thought of it all it was um you know I said it was it was extremely difficult but um you know playing for Australia isn't meant to be easy and you'd almost be disappointed if it was so um uh when we were in yeah South Africa it was um you know they were, they were great batting wickets um you know the, the 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 grounds there are quite quite small and um in a couple of places like Centurion and uh Johannesburg the the balls just fly because you're up at altitude and um you know the the odds are stacked up against you but I mean it's um um, you're certainly not thinking that when you get given your cap and you get your your first ball and your first over and uh, your first wicket in in uh, Aussie colours. Tell us about that Victorian camp at the moment. We've over well the last uh, 24 hours, we've there's been a little bit of um, uh, trouble within the well two Victorian players, Maxwell and Wade. Um, what's the Victorian camp? You're successful. I, I imagine when you're winning games, it's a lot easier to have a happier change room than than if you're losing. Yeah, it, it it is a lot easier to um to deal um with when you when you are winning that the change room does is is quite amicable. But um you know even when things like this arise and um and the the change room is good, it's sort of water water off a duck's back. I mean, um I I hadn't heard anything of it, and I read maybe half the article the other day and just sort of shrugged it off. Went oh you know this is it could be it could be a, a brain fade or it could be um, a little bit of um, artistic reporting, but um, you know, I, I didn't really look too much into it. And, and anyone, um, anyone who who needs to look uh, further into it, I, I assume are. So um, at the moment, the the thirteen guys heading down to Hobart have, have been briefed on it, and, and um, we all understand that um, you know Victoria is a collective effort. Um, winning games is a collective effort, and and um, and that's where we we stand on everything, rather rather than you know sort of. Um, pinpointing bits and pieces that we'd prefer to do ourselves, we we understand that, that Victoria is a collective effort. So um, you know, and, and we're totally focused on on what we've got to do in the next week, rather than what someone might be saying or what people might be writing in uh, in the media. Good to be catching up with Chris Tremaine, Victorian bushranger, soon to be renegade with the Big Bash just around the corner. Chris, I want to talk to you about the arrhythmic nature of cricketing scheduling currently, because. Oh, you might have to dish out the stock standard response of, oh, yeah, we don't have to adapt too much, whether it's with the ball or with the bat. But uh, how unsettling is it uh, having to change from short form to long form at uh, so readily? 
uh, stock standard was probably yeah we got we have to change a lot, but um, it's not uh, it's it's not great big changes. You still you still bowl the the ball down twenty two yards of wicket, so it's um you know all those fundamentals stay the same. It's it's more what's going on up inside your head that um that you need to to um change. I guess um yeah get used to um you know trying to to develop different plans and different um I guess uh, tactics. Uh, within a, a, I guess, a 10-day period, um, and then the days leading into games um, before Big Bash starts from from Shield cricket. So it, it's a, it's a hectic turnaround, and um, and you know you're expected to to be able to go from Shield cricket to to T20 cricket um, in that period, and and um, you know people seem to do it all right, and um, you know. I guess I guess Hoggy can weigh in on this, but I mean we get we get um, you know we get a, a good salary to do what we do, and and you, you can't really complain that that um, that it's too it's too fast. You know you you can't really complain that you need more time to get ready to play 2020 cricket. You just you get told what to do, you grab the ball and you go and do it. I wish I could relate to it when you said a good salary, <laughs> but um, Eddie Head Stadium, an interesting uh, the Renegades Eddie Head Stadium, I thought would have been a, a difficult ground for a spinner, pretty narrow. Um, you've gone for Hognarine and Doherty, so you've got three spinners in your setup there. So interesting to see what sort of wickets they prepare there this summer. Will they be trying to change that just to accommodate the spinner? Uh, I'm I'm not entirely sure. I, I it sort of um, cropped up in, in my mind the other day. Um, would we would we turn Etihad Stadium into a, a, a big turning wicket? Um, but I would have thought that with those three very very good spinners, um, they could they could nearly turn it on glass. Um, and if you if you uh, bang up a nice big turning wicket, and uh, the opposition brings a, a mediocre a part time spinner. To the ground, it, you know, a turning wicket turns a mediocre spinner into a great spinner. So, um, you, you, you're more you're more likely to, to see a, a pretty flat wicket at, at Eddie Haddon and and uh, let the boys do what they do best and, and hopefully take the opposition's bowlers out of the game rather than um, rather than trying to give our our bowlers an extra prong to play with. Now, have you had any counselling? You've got to play with Brad Hogg this summer. He's a different cat. He goes a bit berserk, and he's a pretty strong little man. Have you had any counselling how to play with him? Uh, I've I've actually run into him a couple of times, and he's he's uh, infectious. He's very infectious. Very. Um, yeah, and he um, he's no, he, he's been good the, the couple of times that I've spoken to him, and in, and he's um, uh, he's, he's always up for a chat, and he, he wants to know he wants to know everything about you and, and everything that's going on, and, and he's quite involved in in everyone around him. So he's he's been really good thus, thus far, and and um, you know, I've played against a, a lot against him in the in the past, and. It'd be good to have him with his skill set um, playing for us, but um, you know, seems like a very infectious character and, and a good person to have around um, a cricket team in general. There's um, some pretty ordinary diseases around that are infectious, but in, in Brad's case, um, the word infectious obviously throughout the team, you'll all he really brings a buoyancy to the team if he gets a couple of wickets or he's there and uh, he's he's been he's a fantastic uh, selection for you guys. Um, disappointing for you, uh, you formed a pretty good partnership with Scotty Boland, obviously in the one day teams for for Australia, and then obviously with Victoria. And I see he's playing for the Stars, so you're enemies this uh, season. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Scotty's been there for a while, and I I, uh, I transferred down from the uh, Sydney Thunder. Um, unfortunately, the the year that they they got rid of me, they won the final. So that, you know, <laughs> I don't know I don't know how you want to read into that, but um, you know they've they've reminded me of that a couple of times. But um, you know it's it, it's it's I think that's the greatest thing about these these little derbies and rivalries that we have. Um, you know, the last the last week or so, um, there's been a few. Stars renegades chats pop up and and you know tactics where we sort of separate and go into the corner of the change rooms and start start chatting about how we're going to handle Scotty Bowling or how we're going to how we're going to bowl to to Luke Wright or KP or you know stuff like that. So it's it's um you know even though we we are Victorian we we are playing together at, at, at the moment um, there are little bits and pieces um, that that we do sort of still hold back and, and uh, talk about with our Renegades teammates. The other day, actually, with the new ball, um, Cameron White came up to me and said, when you get the new ball in the, in the T20s, make sure you bowl that ball over and over again because we bowled a, a pretty good set to uh, to the opening batsman. He said, you need to bowl that length at Etihad this year. So, you know, it's, it's regardless of where we're playing, it's still in, it's always in the back of your mind. 
I mean, we mentioned Brad Hogg, infectious, but Cameron White on the other side of the ledger, he's had a tremendous season and he's calming experience and the word experience with Cameron. Um, he's having a brilliant season. So what's it like being around him? Uh, I guess yin and yang would be pretty good with, with uh, Hoggy and, and Whitey. Um, both both very good leaders, but um, two different two different people, I guess. Uh, Whitey brings a calm to the, to the scenario, wherever you may be. Um, at the moment... The way he's been hitting the ball, if there was one bloke you'd want batting for your life, it'd be him because he's—he seems like he's hitting the ball as as good as I've ever seen him, and um, and and really, you know, really into the contest. Um, something that he's that he's just—it um, just seems um, like he's he's developed um, even more so in the in the three years that I've been down here. So it's it's been remarkable to see how well he's done the last two years, and especially the start of this season. But. Um, you know, it'll be, it'll be interesting. He, he's obviously a very good white ball cricketer. He's he's um, performing really well with the red ball at the moment. And C20, it's a it's an all you know another beast altogether. So um you know I I, I full faith that he's he's going to lead quite well. Um whether he's whether he's charged with the with the captaincy or, or whether he leaves that up to someone else or um you know with with Aaron Finch being I guess in and in and around the the Aussie a, uh, the ODI squad. But um no, I think Cameron White. Um, you know, one of one of the leaders that, that will really need um, doing his job and doing what he's been doing the last eighteen months for Victoria. We need him doing that for the the Renegades this year. We've got three Test matches coming up against Pakistan, then four against India. Um, opportunities can sometimes come along. Um, we saw Joe Many get a Test match. Um, how Pattinson's going? How's Cummins going? But with yourself, do you um, do you feel that you're ready for Test cricket? Uh, you, I guess you're ready when they tell you you're ready. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure what um, what sort of cake I'd be biting into if I said I'd, I'm ready for Test cricket. So um, I, you know, I, I guess uh, I, I'd love the opportunity. Um, every every player would, and and um, you'd love to to you know get as far as you can in this game um, before the end. So you know, Test cricket's the pinnacle, and and you want to get there eventually. But um, to say that you're ready, um, I guess it's a it's a very naive comment because I've, I have no idea what what to expect getting to um, getting to Test cricket. I mean, the ODIs were were, were quite a big step up again, and and um, Test cricket, um, you know, is is something that that I guess is is around the corner, but but out of sight at the moment. So, um, you know, it, as a fast bowler though, half the battle is staying on the park. So, um, feel if you if you stay on the park and you bowl well, then and um, you know you're doing all the right things, and and um, you know once you know if you do get an opportunity, make sure you you grab that opportunity and and uh, and do the best you can to to make sure you cement or or you know be a mainstay in in the squad. Well, you do just have to keep uh, your bowling doing the talking, Chris. Uh, always great yeah. to catch up. Uh, I know it's been a, a busy six months or so, as you touched on at the outset. It doesn't get any easier. Uh, with the big bash on the horizon, and uh, it's an exciting month, though, so you can look forward to that. Uh, if you'd like to get behind the Renegades, you can do so at membership.melbournerenegades.com.au. As always, a great insight into the art of fast bowling. Chris, we wish you well and look forward to catching up down the track. Thanks very much for having me, guys. Hope to talk to you soon. Chris Tremaine there, uh, Victorian Bushranger and Melbourne Renegade Hoggy. Uh, a great talker, a great young man, and uh, he seems to be going places. He seems to be developing as a bowler. Well, he's there, but I think he's ready, uh, and you could just sense the confidence, and he had that little um, go over in South Africa with the Australian team. So anything can happen this summer with seven test matches, and, and if they keep going into test matches with only four bowlers, we'll see fast bowlers breaking down. So opportunities could be there galore, and, and it sounds like he's confident in bowling really well for the Vicks, so he's ready. Well, we're going to continue the fast bowling theme on the other side of this break. Andy Bickle to join us. Amazing, Hoggy, you come into the building. We don't speak to spinners. We don't speak to batsmen. It's always fast bowlers. Well, I don't want to speak to keepers either, so I'm happy with quicks and Andy Bickle's a beauty. Stick with us on Stumps if you'd like to get involved. one 48 That is the Kookaburra Cricket Open Line. If it ain't a cooker, it ain't cricket. Hashtag Team Kookaburra. Rodney Hogg with Tristan Fernanda back with plenty more very soon. Ah! 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 Ah!
Yeah, great to have your company. Hope you're enjoying the weekend. If you've just jumped in the car, hope you had a win if you were playing cricket today. Tristan Fernanda, my name, Rodney Hogg, is here with me. And before we dissect the upcoming Chapel Hadley series, we've got to get to Nathan Brown, who joins us from sportsbet.com.au. Fantastic app to have a flutter on all the cricketing action. Brownie, good to talk to you. Tell us, what's the landscape like from a punting perspective, Australia taking on New Zealand? Oh, it's even better to talk to you, Tristan. <laughs> Two of the great men in there, Tristan and Rodney Hogg. You can't get any better than that. Two of the best-looking men in Melbourne, too. Now, the Aussies have been backed off the map here. They open about a dollar sixty. They're into a dollar thirty-eight now. The Kiwis are two sixty out to three dollars and ten. So, all the money on the Aussies, as we know, they're the number one ODI side in the world. Haven't been travelling overly well, but the Kiwis are number three. Maybe they're not the same team without Brendan McCullum, but. David Warner, 375 for top run scorer. He's in from four bucks. And I reckon Glenn Maxwell's going to want to have a good hit. He's $8 for the top run scorer in the first dig. And Steve Smith's always in there. He's $4.33. You can get 375 for Kane Williamson to be the top run scorer for the Kiwis. And we also have a mega bet on this, on this uh, game. Mitchell Stark to take four wickets or more. That's going to pay $6. Four wickets or more, $6. He averages four wickets against the Kiwis. He gets those left armers just beautifully in there. And uh, his best ever is six for 28 against the Kiwis. So it makes for a really good form line. Well, Hoggy's getting very excited about that. Stark to take four or more wickets at $6, sportsbet.com.au. Looking a little further ahead, uh, the Australia-Pakistan Test Series. What can you tell us about the lay of the land there? Uh, I am just going to... Just seem to have lost... I'll bring up the Test match... uh, Nathan Brown with us from sportsbet.com.au here on Stumps. Rodney Hogg with Tristan Fernander. And uh, Brownie's going to shed some light on Australia and Pakistan, (laughs) which gets underway Uh, in about 12 days' time. Yeah, it does. So the Aussies are $1.53, Pakistan $4.25. And uh, forgive me if I'm wrong, but I think Pakistan are the number one ranked side or just about up there at the moment. The draw is $5.50. So, uh, and uh, look... uh, it's uh, pretty short for the Aussies the way they've been playing, but I wouldn't have thought, Hoggy, and, and you'd be better off to tell us about that, whether Pakistan can handle the Australian conditions or not. Well, I'm still wanting that six back, six bucks on Stark. How good's that? Um, Pakistan have come off uh, being disgraceful over in New Zealand, so you wouldn't you wouldn't be betting on uh, Pakistan. Anything else before we let you go, Brownie? Uh, anything else? Uh, we've got A-League on Tonight and tomorrow, so we've got the A-League. We've got Melbourne City playing the Brisbane Raw. Melbourne City $1.91. Brisbane Raw have had some money. They've been three ninety into three seventy five, and you can get Bruno Fornaroli first goal at four fifty, or Timmy Kale. He's at eight dollars. And then uh, tomorrow, Adelaide United they need a win at dollar seventy five up against Wellington Phoenix four twenty five. Adelaide winless so far this year, but you might recall last year they were terrible for the first eight rounds. Then they won fourteen in a row. Then they won the championships, but they do have a little bit of a personnel issue down there. So Melbourne City, 191. The Brisbane Raw, 375. The cricket's going to be fantastic tomorrow. Just Mitchell Stark, $6 for four <laughs> wickets. That's the mega bet. Get onto it and gamble responsibly. Good on you, Brownie. Nathan Brown there from sportsbet.com.au. And uh, hockey, you're just uh, having a fiddle around on the sports ban app as we speak. Uh, juicy odds there for Mitchell Stark. Well, when he says gamble responsibly, what uh, you're only allowed to put five bucks on Mitchell Stark? What no, if I bet wanted... within your means. Well, so, what if I want to well, bet outside a, my for means? For a bigwig like you, hockey, it might be 100? a little bit higher than five dollars. Hundred. Well, I'm not sure, but uh, it's just most important that people do gamble responsibly if having a bet. Now. Little is known about the New Zealand squad. They've got a few players out. But uh, Kane Williamson, one of their stars, uh, spoke openly about uh, the talent within the squad. Uh, He thinks they can beat anyone. Let's have a listen to Kane Williamson, thanks to ESPN Crick Info. Australia are a very good team. Uh, We know that. Um, But the focus is for us to play our best cricket. Um, And if we do that, we know we can beat anyone. And it's important we do that to give ourselves the best chance in this series. Um, Like I said, it's, it's also important we focus one game at a time. Um, and look to get better throughout the series and hopefully that gives ourselves the best chance to, to get the results. Something nice about playing at home and now we're over here in Australia obviously know these conditions very well so um, it's certainly an exciting uh, three three game series um, albeit it's very short but um, the, the side's looking forward to it um, coming off the back of a, a win at home not so long ago so it is important again that we adapt well because the conditions will be different, um, a, a slightly different look Australian side from the one that was perhaps at home, 
um, and we'll have to be at our best. Like I say, when you play at home, you you know the conditions well, and uh, half the, well, there's a number of uh, New South Wales players in the side, so they've played a lot of cricket here. Um, that's one of the things we'll need to adapt to. Um, there's one short side and uh, long straight, long on on the other side, and um, I think you know it probably comes into um, stopping twos in the field and running twos when you're batting and looking to um, assess those conditions as best you can. So the ground size, the pitch, the opposition will come into that. I suppose it's hard without having a huge amount of preparation for series these days. You you sort of come off the back of one straight into the next and you're, you're pretty much um, right in the now in terms of how your preparation is and you don't tend to look too far ahead and um, you always want success and that's no different in this series but we're certainly not looking at game three, we're looking right now and we want to be playing our best cricket and making those adjustments as quickly as we can in order to do that. New Zealand skipper Kane Williamson there, Hoggy. Kane, you're kidding yourself son, no preparation at all, superstar Kane Williamson, no, it's absolute superstar but got no chance to win in Sydney at all. They've, on the 29th of November they knocked over Pakistan in New Zealand with a red ball, I don't know how many blokes are travelling over in that squad but no preparation at all. Go up to Sydney, no chance at all. New Zealand, Mitchell Stark, $6 that apparently. That differs from the Aussies' preparation how, Hoggy? Preparation? Well, we're in our own country, for starters. Yeah, but in terms of preparation, the Aussies have been doing the same. Oh, well, they don't have to travel as far. <laughs> no, they know Sydney Creek Ground better. No, no, no chance New Zealand. Oh, but if they, we, we, um, they've been on the booze for, um, for three days celebrating beating Pakistan. That's not very good. Pre- we haven't been celebrating too much this summer. We wouldn't be on the booze. They're the consummate professionals. Six bucks dark, very apparently. Very much looking forward to the Ooh. opening encounter. Australia taking on New Zealand tomorrow in Sydney. Right around Australia, this is Stumps. Rodney Hogg with Tristan Fernando. Hope you've enjoyed your Saturday. To those leaving us, have a great weekend. Uh, to those in Melbourne, stick with us. A whole lot more on the way. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.